0: Ava Hartling, welcome to the Brennis Female Podcast. Every week, I speak with women change makers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women and Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrenniesfemale.com/podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Elin Lorimer, the CEO of Spatial, a creative multifaceted team of researchers, designers, and strategists who share a deep curiosity about human behavior and who are passionate about ensuring technology improves our lives. Elin is a trailblazer in the tech industry with over 20 years of experience in digital product design and development, working in senior executive roles for large public companies such as Travelocity, City, Standard Charter Bank, Bell, and Nokia. She's a true believer in placing the user at the heart of the design process in combining art and science to deliver great experiences that bring business value. Here is our conversation. Elin, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'll start this conversation the way I usually uh, begin uh, all of these uh, interviews on on the show. And I want to ask you to go back in time a little bit. So growing up, what did you think you would do as a career later in life? And was it in any way connected to what you're actually doing today?
1: I don't think I really had a career in mind as a kid, I... Thought about being a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or the bionic woman at times. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess I was just really fortunate to have my parents who told me I could be anything I wanted. Um, but interestingly, the job I do now and what I do now wouldn't have been something that existed when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And were there any role models? was was there somebody you
0: looked up and this could have been you know really early on in school this could be kind of later or at this point of your career you know did any could be any any personalities I'm interested in, in women role models specifically somebody that kind of inspired you on your on your track?
1: Um, I would say when I was a kid, I was hungry to see any role models that were women, whether it was on TV or. Uh, aunts or uncle or no uncles, aunts or um, <laughs> friends and family and so on. But I don't think I really had any role models as such uh, that were women. I was lucky enough to have and still do have a lot of really amazing women friends. And so throughout my career, I've felt that, you know, they've been my inspiration, my encouragement, my support along the way. And I've learned tons from them as well.
0: Mm. So tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are today, you're CEO of a company. Um, you know, was it kind of a straight line? Did you are did you always know you wanted to, you know, run your own company or, you know, tell me about that career journey, probably starting with what you studied in school and how you got to where you are.
1: Sure. Um, I would say that my whole career was what led me to be able to create a company in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I went to UBC here in Vancouver and studied sociology. So I have a sociology degree. When I left, I thought, I don't know what. I'm going to do with this sociology degree. But uh, anyway, I decided (laughs) to go on a big trip and and fell in love with travel. Well, And and, and actually, I want to ask you, what made you choose sociology? Um, To be honest, it was probably a professor where I sat down and just he immediately helped us understand what sociology was by having us think about why did we sit in the chair we sat in were we at the front were we at the back were we in the middle and you know did we sit right beside someone did we allow space and it just was a different um, way of looking at things and um, questioning the everyday. and so that's kind of why I started my interest in sociology I guess. And I was really also interested in organizational behavior. Yeah. And in particular, what I call like how people interact with technology. So many years mm-hmm. later, my sociology degree makes a lot of sense because yeah. in the work I do now, it's very much about how people interact with technology.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So you went on a trip, fell in love with traveling.
1: Yeah. And then I, um, I went to Japan. I taught English like so many people did in the, in the 90s. And then I met a guy, ended up going to Sydney, Australia. And I would say that I started in the internet space in, in probably 1996. Mm. And I, it was just pure curiosity. I got a 56k modem, and started to just play around with building websites and because nobody was really doing this stuff um certainly that i knew um all of a sudden i was pegged as some kind of expert and um very quickly i had some opportunities come my way one of them was to work for a web agency that was very new uh based in melbourne but they wanted to start a sydney office so I joined to start the Sydney office and at the time it was me and an 18 year old receptionist and it was the internet boom days so yeah. very quickly the business grew within one year to about 35 people in the team mm-hmm. and um, and as I said that was the internet boom years and then a few years later we had the internet crash and right. um, the company was bought. I stuck with it through the merger and then decided I just didn't want to be part of rebuilding that. Started to think about what to do. As I said, passion became travel and so I thought how could I combine this internet and travel passion and saw a company in Singapore called Zuji that was an online travel agency uh mm. didn't get a job there right away, but I tried and kept staying in touch with them and pestering them. And eventually they gave me an opportunity to work on a project there. So I moved to Singapore. And um, Zuji was partly owned by Travelocity, which uh, yeah. you may have heard of, and mm-hmm. uh, 10 Asian Airlines at the time. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, we set up three it kind of operated like a startup. We started with three country sites, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Australia. And over the five plus years I was there, we expanded to Taiwan, Korea, New Zealand, and set up a portal in India as well. So that was probably one of the highlights of my career. And then I got an opportunity to work on a global product integration initiative. And that took me between London, Dallas, Texas, and Singapore, bouncing around quite a lot. And um, I guess after that, I thought, well, what's next? I couldn't really just go back to my normal role after these kind of exciting projects.
0: And I want to ask you, what was it like working as a woman in kind of the early days, you know, of tech and digital and uh, working in in a variety of countries, to starting with you know the agency you were at in in Australia, and we often hear even today of the tech industry, you know where women are underrepresented. But what what was it like uh, at that time for you?
1: Um, you know, I was really fortunate before I actually. Uh, I guess one of the things that got me interested and curious about internet I worked for a magazine and I worked really closely I was the admin manager and I helped the tech team figure out how to set up a whole new computerized office and they Mm -hmm. were super patient with me and taught me a lot just about connectivity and and things like that and um, so for me I was quite fortunate I had the men that I worked with really didn't um I didn't feel a ton of discrimination. Um, when I worked for the agency, I mean, I got the general manager role, um, Mm -hmm. and was very supported by the managing director and partners of that company. Um, Mm -hmm. so I didn't, I don't know. I don't think I really felt Mm -hmm. that there was a lot of discrimination. And Mm -hmm. when I went to ZUJI in Singapore, I had a, uh, the commercial director who hired me was super supportive of women. And in fact, at one point mm. he said, you know, women are the ones that just get shit done. So my whole team is women. <laughs> and it was funny because the general managers of the different country teams um, were actually all women. And I reported directly That's awesome. to them. And yeah, so so, so you experienced allyship. I did. That said, I would say it's not that it doesn't go... You know, you're there it, it's there, and you sometimes see it. But I think, in my experience, I I really just didn't see it as a big barrier. Mm-hmm. There were times, though, for example, when I was a director and sitting in a boardroom in Asia, and everyone's talking about cricket. I don't know right. cricket because I'm from Canada, and I have so I have no idea about it. I don't watch it. I'm not remotely interested. But there were folks from S- Sri Lanka and India and Australia and and England and they were all mad cricket fans and I just sat there and it was quite you do feel excluded in those types right. of informal discussions I didn't yeah. play golf so I was never invited to join those types of things and so you know, but I had no interest. Actually, I did do some golf lessons for a while and I just really did not like it and thought, okay, forget it. If, if uh, it wasn't for you, exactly. Yeah. That,
0: well, that's been really interesting and it's, it's a, it was a positive experience. So that's great. So sorry to interrupt. You no, were, okay. I think we're still, we're still in Singapore.
1: Yeah. So, so after my experience, uh, so, so anyway, Travelocity bought, Zuji and and operated under multiple brands, like I said, um, super interesting, great time. I'm still in touch with many people from that, um, that era. Um, and again, it's something really powerful about being in a startup like situation. You feel like Mm -hmm. you're fighting a war together. So, um, Mm -hmm. so that, that's something, uh, that's pretty stands out in my mind as a highlight Mm -hmm. of my career. Um, Uh, After that, though, I I was headhunted to go work for a bank, Standard Chartered Bank, which focuses on Asia, Africa and the Middle East. And my role was global head of they called it at the time remote banking, but essentially it was Mm -hmm. Internet banking and mobile banking. Our markets were uh, I basically had 10 main markets and they included China, India, um, UAE, Singapore, Hong Kong and some growth markets as well, Pakistan, Vietnam, Thailand, etc. cetera. And um, at the time their internet technology was pretty crap and they really wanted to win awards for being the best internet banking mm. company in, in, uh, in this banking space. So we had a lot of work to do and um, it, was incredibly complex, to be honest, and incredibly challenging. Um, I learned lots uh, about working. Uh, The banking industry was brand new to me, so it was a pretty big learning curve. Um, but ultimately I realized I still love travel and banking wasn't really my jam. So, Mm. uh, at that time I had probably been away from Canada for about 18 years and Mm. my parents were getting a bit older and I thought, you know, I think it's time to move back. So, um, basically that's kind of what led me back to Canada. And I had this great opportunity to really think about what's next. And I realized that. I still really was very passionate about creating good technology experiences. Sometimes in the product, when you're a product manager, you're thinking about features and functionality. And um, I had brought in some principles of user experience, very early on i was fascinated with user testing and mm-hmm. um brought that into work for our clients even back in australia in the 90s and then into the bank and um i decided that that was an area where i was going to focus moving forward uh i got a job as a senior user experience consultant with bell mm-hmm. uh bell's professional services team and um And then I ended up getting um, a job with Nokia. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And at the time, Nokia was really losing market share to BlackBerry, Mm -hmm. Apple, and Android. And they were determined they were going to, you know, kind of come back. And they actually had brilliant devices. I had this, you know, my first phone was a Nokia. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, how exciting to have an opportunity to really focus on this new mobile space and mobile uh, devices and and applications as well. so I joined Nokia in January 2011 and my and basically within six months they decided to close down this the Vancouver research and development operation and we all got our layoff notices. Um, but Nokia was super generous about how they um, how they handled, the Mm. closing of the operation and offered anybody who wanted to set up a company, uh, an opportunity to get between five and $35,000 to start a business. So I thought, yeah, that's a good way of doing that. Amazing. And I thought, well, you know, I've built teams three times already for other companies Mm -hmm. at the agency in Australia at Travelocity and at the bank. And I thought, why don't I try and do it for myself? Worst case is that I just, you know, it fails and I go back to say some freelance work. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what, um, what led me to start the business. I, me and a, and a colleague put together a business plan. We pitched our idea and it was really about, uh, a business focused on human centered design and product innovation. So Mm -hmm. we ended up getting uh, $25,000 each and (laughs) yeah, and we started the business. I landed, fortunately, a contract right away as well. So we were kind of on the way and uh, yeah, that's how it all started.
0: That's, That's all very exciting. And what was kind of that first year of starting your business like? And, you know, there's always, I think as entrepreneurs, there's always obstacles and unforeseen challenges that pop up but was there one main thing that made you question your decision to become an entrepreneur?
1: Um, I would say in terms of the realities the first few years were really tough mostly uh, because you're you know I've just found I was working so hard working very very long hours and really it's because you kind of have three jobs one is getting the business. The second is doing the job. And then the third is actually the finance and accounts side of things. So you find, especially as you're getting established, it's hard because you do, you're wearing multiple hats Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I'm no stranger to hard work, but, um, it, it, uh, it can create some uh, possibilities for burnout really. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, I guess some of the things that I had to learn too, I'm a bit of an introvert. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to get out there and you have to hustle business and you have yes. to build your network in order to be successful. So you really have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, and again, I guess for me, I'd traveled a lot and taken some chances moving here and there abroad. So I wasn't worried too much about that. But um, mm-hmm. I think... Probably what's the hardest is the financial ups and downs. It's like a freaking right. roller coaster and there's just you got to live with uncertainty all the time. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. absolutely there were times when I just thought why am I doing this? Why don't I just go back to a regular job and mm-hmm. um um but I but I stuck it through and you know, you do become accustomed to living with that uncertainty and over time the financial ups and downs start to level out a little bit. So,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah. What's one thing in retrospect who you wish you had done differently or something you wish you had learned, you know, earlier?
1: I thought about this, uh, a number of times over the years. And one of the things I wish I had known earlier is a bit more about how the brain works. Now it sounds kind of weird, but, um, I when I started the business we had the good fortune to have a client who was in the mental health space and it forced me to really learn more about cognitive behavior therapy and things like this and uh, a friend of mine overseas had also been very interested in neuroscience so I had I got some book recommendations from her and I really started to learn more about how the brain works and how how We only use 5% of our brain and Mm. um, the other 95 governs a whole lot about what we do. Mm -hmm. And if I had known some of these things earlier, whether it's neuroscience or cognitive behavior, mindfulness, I think it would have helped me a lot deal with the stress of Mm. very kind of uh, senior executive roles that are very demanding. It would have helped me deal with some communication issues that can arise when you're in a very high pressured situation and just work better collaboratively with people. So, um, it's something that I encourage, (laughs) encourage Mm -hmm. our team to, to find out more and learn more about, because I, I mean, there were probably times in my career that I regret outbursts or some, uh, behaviors that, uh, that really, if I had known more about what was causing that from a stress mm. perspective, I probably wouldn't have had those regrets. <laughs> mm.
0: This season of The Brennest Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise. And they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. I've noticed looking at your company's website, um, there, there are a lot of women on your company and it seems the the senior team, the executive team is all women as well. Was that, you know, by design and uh, what does it mean for you to be able to, and maybe you're just following the advice of that boss you had who said, well, women get shit done. So my team's going to be <laughs> mostly women. Um, how do you support kind of the, you know, the next generation of women and not just the next generation women also who are working alongside you in the industry and in this case in your company?
1: Yeah, I love this question because, um, we talk about it often. I'll just say we didn't start the business with a view to being a women oriented company. Gender really had nothing to do with it. Apart from the fact Mm -hmm. that me and my business partner, Sheila McKenzie, who's terrific, um, are both women. But what we mm-hmm. find is that, uh, in our business, we're professional services. So when we think of business development, there's really two sides to that. One is the pipeline of clients and projects. The other is really the pipeline of talent. And mm-hmm. we intentionally have as part of our mission, uh, a goal of supporting women's success in it. And, that includes women who aren't from a traditional, let's say computer science or engineering Mm -hmm. background. We work with women who might come. So I'm sociology. My business Mm -hmm. partner has an English degree and Mm -hmm. we really believe that, uh, you know, you need to have some expertise in our space, but there are women and and men as well changing careers to move more into this user experience design space. Mm -hmm. And we really believe that the diversity and experience they bring is a great asset. We can train them as long as they're interested and hungry for knowledge, we can train them in what we do and they can get training in this space, but it's really getting those opportunities. So we're really committed to supporting uh, especially young women, but not exclusively, but new grads, we hire new grads fresh out of university, and train them and give them opportunities. We have internships. Um, And I would say that we're trying to hire some men now. But what happens is almost this unconscious bias where people know we're a women led company. And Mm -hmm. Um, our connections at the universities, if they have a really great student, especially if they're a woman, they'll say, you have to talk to Elin and Sheila. And so we get introduced <laughs> to all these amazing women and we end up hiring them because they're, right. they're just because incredible. Right, because they're great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's just—it's interesting, though, because it's like the bias we've seen happen that keeps women out of tech, yeah. Yeah, we we kind of recognize that it's leading us to 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 have built this quite women dominated company, but we are trying to uh, make sure we think about that diversity as well and bring in some, mm. some men and 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 other uh, non-binary, well. yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: That's, that's so interesting. Yeah. For a second, it was almost like, I'm like, wait, this is usually how it works with men. It's actually happening with women in your case. So that's kind of fascinating. I know. And it is kind of weird. (laughs) Uh, What does leadership mean to you? And you've spoken a little bit about, you know, the role you, 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 you want to be playing the role you actively play in supporting uh, other women, but leadership as a whole as, you know, as the head of the company, you're leading a team, you've led teams in the past as well. What kind of responsibility does that come with? Does that role come with for you?
1: I honestly believe that, that the leadership role is about setting the bar and where do you want people? Where do you want the company to be? Where do you want performance to be, what do you expect out of your team? Um, And, and then allowing people to often find their own way to get there and learn Mm -hmm. by doing. Um, We, in terms of our company culture, we're quite a flat Structure. We're, we're a company of 12 full-time people. And then we have contractors who come in up to mm-hmm. five contractors will be working with us at any given time. So our core team is pretty small. We have a management team of four and we are really split the task. It's the tasks of HR and building culture and training and things like that. Um, but really it is, uh, I would say more consensus oriented decision-making, but of course, Mm -hmm. as the CEO, I will make sure our decision-making is aligned with our strategy and our, our finances, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, I, we also believe in being transparent. So, uh, especially since COVID, uh, I started to do a regular, company update with our team and started out monthly. It's now quarterly. And the team really enjoy it. i I really uh, share all our numbers, our financial performance numbers, talk about our burn rate, talk about uh, our pipeline of business, and where, where our performance is and what the impact is to them. I'm trying to teach them a bit more about consulting as a business. So mm-hmm. um, I, and and the feedback from them is they really value the transparency and understanding how uh, the company is performing and also starting to learn a little bit about the dynamics of what consulting is about. Mm-hmm. That's uh, such an interesting approach
0: and I'm sure they find it very uh, very interesting. such a good learning experience. Um, I want to ask about your definition of success for mm-hmm. yourself. I mean, there, there's your, you know, your, your own life, there's a company and did that definition evolve over time? So if I had asked you the same question five or 10 years ago, how different would the answer be?
1: Great question. And, uh, you know, our business is partly research and we do website design for clients. And it's a question I always ask them, what does success look like for you? (laughs) And, uh, so I would say, yes, the definition has changed over the years. Um, my original view of what success would be was to develop a consultancy that didn't need me anymore. That, uh, you know, in the services space and especially in consulting, it's often personality driven, uh, yeah. led by trust and relationships. And so mm-hmm. to be able to, for example, take a big chunk of time off and have the business continue to run was what I thought would be uh success for our business. Uh, um, and actually that has evolved. It's taken nine years, but, um, I'm currently on a a mini sabbatical, which is, uh, Ah, three months off. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I do feel like we've, we've achieved a good amount of success in that regard. And of course we have financial targets that we meet. Um, and, I would say for us success is to have really interesting projects with our clients that really are, are projects that are about innovation, that are about designing digital products for the future. And mm-hmm again, I would say we continue to evolve towards that, but more and more as we focus on that as our barometer for success, we find that's the projects or those are the projects that we are attracting. So, Mm. uh, I'm a big believer in having big audacious goals. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that even then unconsciously the decisions you make lead you to those goals. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a very important point.
0: Um, what is part of your routine? What is part of your life? And it's interesting because you are on a, on a part, part sabbatical right now or short sabbatical. Um, what are things that, and I mean, I hate talking about work-life balance. I think that's an unattainable, you know, ideal that, has been imposed on onto women, especially women entrepreneurs. That is so
1: interesting that you say that. What makes you say it's an unattainable ideal? Uh, I think I think it's the it's
0: the definition of it that is being sold to us, right? Where you know you're you're supposed to be able to be completely in control of all things, have enough time to rest, enough time for side projects, and time for your business, for your personal life um and i most entrepreneurs i speak to actually i'll I'll refer to somebody recently and i forget who it was referred to it as you know you can have it all but probably not all at the same time and there will be ebbs and flows so there'll be times in your life where work might be taking up a little bit more there might be time where your family's occupying more and you just learn to kind of ride that wave basically but that idea that you can be uh you know perfectly in tune with a fulfilling personal life that is exactly what you've dreamed of having and then work you know at the same time is probably tough to achieve for most.
1: I could but maybe agree. you have a secret oh, to share. I, <laughs> I couldn't agree more and I I guess I often see some of our team members they're fairly young and just getting established in their careers and when I hear them talk about how work-life balance is so important to them yet they want career success I I feel like they're a little bit caught in Mm -hmm. these expectations of demonstrating career success and showing that they have a great work-life balance and I don't think I don't think they're mutually exclusive. However, Mm -hmm. I would totally agree with what you've said, which is that if you're young and getting established in your career and very passionate about what you do, I think it's super normal. And if you want to be successful, expected that you put a lot of your heart and soul into that, that, you know, achieving that career success. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. So you have to work hard at it. And then a little bit later, you can enjoy a bit more of the work-life balance, and and it's taken me most of my life to get to that point where I can do so. So, um, yeah, I, I, i just thought I'd comment on that, but I forgot your original question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, the, the question was going to be, um, how do you stay grounded amidst it all? How do you keep you know, uh, kind of that positive mindset? How do you stay sane amidst the craziness that we know an entrepreneurial journey can lead to and never mind just, you know, life. So what are things that need to happen? And I find it very interesting that you're on a sabbatical. So that is probably something you identified (laughs) as a period of rest that you needed at this point in your journey.
1: Yeah. I, um, I think that for me, one of the things that was important as I was building the business was to sometimes what I would call get on the no train. And I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. ever heard of Marie Forleo, but she has, she has a a video program and talks, talks about, women entrepreneurs and and things like that and she had this video about the no train and it really resonated for me it's like sometimes you got to just say no and when you're an entrepreneur and you have opportunities for a project or for new business it's really hard to say no because you're mm-hmm. it's just a fear you have if i say no i'm going to lose that client forever um but it's not necessarily true so we developed a litmus test for our new business so when we talk to clients, uh, as we're taking client briefings and so on, we have our own litmus test about those projects we say yes to and projects we say no to. So that's one thing that I think is, is a way of recognizing it's pretty easy to keep saying yes to things and then get Mm. very, very, overloaded and um, you know, just feeling like you're making commitments and then you question, why did I say yes to that? And so uh, I I think it's really important to take the time before you put your hand up and say, yeah, I'll do that. To, to think about, well, hang on, what else have I got? What is the time commitment? When is this going to be expected? And and that kind of thing.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I think most women entrepreneurs, that's something that comes up quite a bit is learning to, Learning to say no and learning to choosing the projects that they want to be working with because we've been taught, you know, take all the business, say yes to everything, and that's scarcity mindset. Like, will there be another client if I turn this down? Um, and the reality yeah. is is different. So that's that's a great skill to master.
1: <laughs> yeah, and can't say we always master it. Sometimes we we make some blunders too, but uh, yeah, you know, mostly yeah. we try to stick to our stick to our guns. Absolutely. Um, I want
0: to ask you about um, your advice to uh, young entrepreneurs thinking of starting a business in, in tech, in consulting, uh, maybe women specifically. What would you have? What kind of tips would you have for them?
1: One thing I continue to kind of beat the drum about with my team is the importance of building their network and not focusing so much on their personal brand Mm -hmm. in social media, but really focusing Uh on building deeper relationships, personal relationships with peers and with colleagues. Go out and have coffee together, have Mm -hmm. lunch together, have a video chat together. Obviously in COVID it's hard to do that, or it's been hard Mm -hmm. to do that, but um, you can still... But make the time, don't wait Mm -hmm. till you need something to then start scrambling around and reaching out to your networks. Be genuine, build those Mm -hmm. networks. And we find there's a lot of pressure on on younger generation to, they all think it's so important and they don't quite know what it means to build their personal brand or, and and I think for some of them, they get kind of caught up in that and it's about looking glamorous on video and it's about, writing articles and producing videos and things like that. And there's, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot more work than just going and having lunch with a colleague. All I can tell you, it's worked for me in my career, which is to really eat and drink together with the people mm-hmm. you work with. And they will truly help you and support you whenever you're ready to take those next steps in your career, if you're not Mm -hmm. nurturing your network, then you're missing a big opportunity in my view.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's very sage advice. And my favorite question to ask guests on the show, what's one thing you wish women would do more of and one thing you wish they would do less of? And I think we can already include part of your answer to my last question, learning to say no, definitely, but, What else would be on that list?
1: And also part of the other question, which was around the networking, get out there more and worry about social media less. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say one thing, not so much for women or is, but for everybody is be very aware of the addictiveness of your screens. Um, Make time to put the, put it away and not look at it for hours at a time, Mm -hmm. uh, because we work in the tech space. We work with a lot of big tech companies of many applications are designed to be addictive. Yeah, Um, Yeah. and (laughs) you of all people would know, I know. And it's in here, I am saying be aware, right. But it's so important. And, uh, it, I feel like it's, it's damaging to people it's creating anxiety and mm-hmm. um you know this and it's very antisocial. and I and I feel that our addictiveness to our technology is really creating some serious social and personal issues for people so mm-hmm. I would say yeah take the time to um break away from your addiction and your device mm-hmm. and um yeah, be, be, be more aware of how it's controlling you. Mm.
0: Well, Elin, it was such a pleasure getting to know about your journey and uh, how you got to where you are. Thank you for sharing and thank you for making the time to speak with me today and exciting to see what's next for you and best of luck in upcoming projects, including enjoying your sabbatical for what's left of it.
1: Thanks so much. And it's been a real pleasure uh, having have an opportunity to talk about yeah, our business and, and my journey. So thanks. Thank you.
0: I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope.